BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. The Bauer and Rose Show. Tom Rose, my name, Gary Bauer, a co-host here, not in at the moment. So this is uh, Rose Solo. We're Every Sunday, right here on Sirius XM, The Patriot, Channel 125. We're hosted online at justthenews.com and available wherever you get your podcasts. Gary and I podcast a couple of times a week. Make sure and give us a five-star rating. Recommend us to friends. And here we go. Day, well, we're into three weeks now. Three weeks, almost, approaching since the murderous, pogromist, genocidal terror attack in Israel. I, by the way, am... Uh, broadcasting, podcasting to you today, as I have uh, for the past many weeks from just north of Tel Aviv. I am in Israel. Uh, There is much to talk about, much to discuss, and we're going to get in it. Bottom line, if Hamas goes away tomorrow, if there are no more rockets that are fired indiscriminately at Israeli cities, there would be no more Israeli airstrikes in Gaza. If Israel lays down its weapons today, there would be no Israel tomorrow. And if Hamas laid down its arms today, there would be no war in Gaza. And that, that is why they hate Jews and why they hate the state of Israel. Not because they're evil, or in my case, since I'm Jewish, evil, but because Israel is good, and the better Israel is, the harder they work to exterminate us. Anything that could possibly be done to these victims of the Hamas massacre and their corpses short of cannibalism were done by these monsters. The National uh, Forensic Center, we discussed this earlier in the week, the National Institute for Forensic Studies in Israel uh, did something very, very unusual and very exceptional, contrary, in fact, to Jewish law, but due to the exigency of the emergency, they felt it essential. And it was a move somewhat reminiscent of General Eisenhower's decision that all civilian members of the Bergen-Belsen surrounding communities visit the camp in the days after the liberation. So nobody could deny it. Nobody could say it didn't happen. Nobody could deny the Holocaust. So what happened earlier in the week was the National Institute for Forensic Studies invited several hundred Israeli and foreign journalists, most importantly, to view slideshow images of the most barbaric, demonic, savage attacks on civilians that frankly has ever been recorded by a civilized government. Anything that could have been done to these bodies was done. Anything short of cannibalism were done by these monsters. The celebration of the most hideous and demonic massacres of Jewish babies, Jewish elderly, 
their kidnapping of young children, of three-year-olds, of nine-months-olds, of Holocaust survivors, isn't isolated to Hamas. It's celebrated. It's celebrated in Gaza. It's celebrated throughout the Arab and Muslim world. It's celebrated on American college campuses. It's celebrated, if not apologized for or excused, on MSNBC and even CNN, on the front pages of the New York Times, even the Wall Street Journal. The PA, the supposedly moderate Palestinian Authority, of course, the Western narrative is there is the quote-unquote militant Hamas and the moderate Palestine, Palestinian Authority. Well, let me give you some quotes here from the moderate Palestinian authority. Fatah Revolutionary Command member Jamal al-Huwali, quote, We were wishing that something similar to what happened would happen, but we thought this was only wishful thinking. That is a member of the Fatah Governing Council. That's the Palestinian authority in Judea, Samaria, the West Bank. And then there's Fatah Tulkarm branch secretary, Iyad Jarad. He says Hamas's terror attack, quote, is a source of pride, heroism, and honor for the Palestinian people. And then there's Abbas Zakai, longtime Fatah Central Committee member. Quote, October 7 started a Palestinian revival. We thank Hamas for making these preparations. During his shuttle diplomacy, Secretary of State Biden applied heavy pressure on Abu Mazen, who is Mahmoud Abbas, that's his nom de guerre, the president of the Palestinian Authority, currently in the 18th year of his four-year term, pressured him to release a statement condemning Hamas. Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, refused. But that didn't stop Tony Blinken from visiting him numerous times in Ramallah. And when a statement was finally issued by the moderate PA, it couldn't even condemn the massacre. It could only bring itself to say Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people. Well, I would argue there's no evidence that it doesn't represent the Palestinian people. There was no Israeli blockade on Gaza from 2005 until Hamas took over about 18 months later in a violent coup against the PA. And that was 2006. Because in 2005, Israel unilaterally and now foolishly and devastatingly stupidly uprooted 21 settlements and 8,000 Jews that had lived there since 1967. Every single Jew was unilaterally withdrawn by Israel. All Jewish businesses were brought out. Even the graves of the Jews who had died in Gaza were removed and withdrawn by Israel to Israel. Well, Hamas then murdered those Palestinians in Gaza who said they wanted peace with Israel. They threw them off the roofs. They hung them by construction cranes. Everything you think you know about decency, humanity, civilized human behavior is the opposite of everything that Hamas stands for. It's the opposite of everything that Hamas produces. People don't even know this. They use and abuse and lose hundreds of Palestinian children every year 
digging their terror tunnels. Hundreds of these kids are killed in tunnel collapses and cave-ins. Hamas doesn't care. They don't apologize. In fact, Israel cares much more for the children of Gaza than Hamas does. Much more. Israel treats them in its hospitals. Israel risks the lives of its own soldiers to limit to the extent possible the civilian casualties caused by Hamas in their use of civilians as human shields. When the IDF could very easily wipe out Gaza just from the air, just obliterate it, right? (laughs) If the IDF were the monsters that the, the many in the Muslim world and many more in our own media seem to imply, then the Gaza problem could be solved in an afternoon. Israel could literally level Gaza, but it doesn't because there's no nation on the face of the earth today or ever before that has risked so many of its own precious soldiers to protect the civilians of an enemy state that's bent upon its annihilation. And again, I think that's another reason they hate us so demonically. Because the better they are, better we are, the more humane Israel is, the United States is, any Western country, the more they hate us. And despite what you hear about the blockade of Gaza, it only has ever really affected arms, weapons, war material. Israel lets in, actually pays for, huge amounts of aid. Before the war, Israel authorized on a daily basis 1,200 large flatbed trucks filled with all kinds of civilian aid. It's Hamas that limits the amount of food. It's Hamas that limited the import of this humanitarian aid to 400 trucks a day. They want to keep their people hungry. They want to keep their people angry, and they want to increase the hate their people have. You want to know why there's no electricity in Gaza? Because Hamas blew up the fuel lines from Israel into Gaza. You want to know why there's no water in, is- from, uh, in, in Gaza from Israel? Because Hamas dug up the water pipes that brought water from Israel into Gaza to make rockets. There are terror tunnels that they dug, 1,300 of them, we estimate, hundreds of kilometers long, drained the aquifer. But the more monstrous Israel's enemies behave, the more hatred and opprobrium that they heap onto Israel. Hamas is no accident. It didn't land in Gaza. Nobody dropped Hamas into Gaza from some alien planet. Hamas was elected by the people of Gaza. They're supported by the people of Gaza. They're sustained by the people of Gaza. The tens of thousands who poured into the streets to dance in joy, to celebrate the massacre of Jewish babies, of the elderly, the the demonic rape of women, the dismemberment, the beheadings, Nobody forced them to celebrate. And by the way, this isn't limited to Gaza. It's widespread in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. 
The reason Abu Mazen, again, I keep using his name because that's how he's referred to here in Israel. Mahmoud Abbas is probably the name that you're familiar with, the president of the Palestinian Authority. Dr. Mahmoud Abbas, I might add, because uh, he, after all, don't you know, received a doctorate, a Ph.D. in Holocaust denial from Moscow State University in the very early 1980s. His PhD dissertation was how on the Jews about how the Jews fabricated the Holocaust. So the reason he's in the 18th year of his four-year term is because if there were another election, he knows and everybody else knows that Hamas would win it handily. So this history of anti-Semitism, which is more pronounced today, much, much more pronounced today in the United States than it ever has been in our history. The U.S. right now is experiencing the greatest explosion of anti-Semitism in American history. And it's not even close. There is no close compare. None. The smatterings of anti-Jewish bigotry that, that we all learned about in Sunday school, obviously I'm Jewish and studied in college, wouldn't even register by today's standard. Their uh, students of history obviously know about Ulysses Grant's Order Number 11, which if you study American anti-Semitism, is, if it's not on page one, it's on page two or page three. In the middle of the Civil War in 1862, General Grant issued an order that tried to expel Jews from the borderland of, from the borders of the border states, uh, Tennessee, which was in Union hands at that point, Mississippi, Kentucky. That was about, about as bad as it ever got. But considering President Lincoln immediately revoked it and chewed Grant out forever issuing it, it never took effect. So no Jew was ever expelled. And then Grant spent the rest of his life apologizing for it. He became the first and only ex-president to ever actually become a dues-paying member of a synagogue. He took up the cause of persecuted Jews in Russia by condemning the Tsar. And this was the guy that we learn was this great anti-Semite. And Henry Ford, who I was reading in the paper today, America's most uh, notorious anti-Semite, most widely known anti-Semite most influential anti-Semite. Well, he later repudiated his uh, abhorrent views. He had a newspaper, the Dearborn Independent, that repeated all the slanders and lies accumulated until that time about Jews. We controlled the media, uh, banks. uh, We had this nefarious influence. He never, none of these people, not even, pardon me, Father Coughlin, the popular Detroit-based radio uh, host who broadcast to millions, blamed the Jews for everything under the sun during the Depression. None of these people were ever close to being exterminationists. And when the church finally censured Coughlin, he fell into oblivion. But what we're hearing today is an anti-Semitism that has no precedent in American history. Anti-Semitism is a unique form of hatred. 
Unlike the old-fashioned anti-Jewish bigotry, today's anti-Semitism isn't just some other form of bigotry or race hatred. Not liking Jews is not anti-Semitic. People don't like other people, right? I mean, that's just part of human nature. If you don't like Jews, that doesn't make you an anti-Semite by today's standard. Because it's been upgraded now, don't you know? Unlike this old-fashioned, quaint, benign anti-Semitism of years gone by, today's form is exterminationist. The anti-Semites, the Jew haters you see marching in New York City, beating the crap out of uh, uh, counter-protesters in Chicago, aren't mere Jew haters, they're exterminationists. They don't just hate Jews, they want all Jews killed. There's never been anything close to the exterminationist anti-Semitism we're seeing today. Never in our 250-year history have thousands gathered in the centers of our great cities chanting death to Jews, death to the Jews, F the Jews, And the smarter ones, the more refined of them, use euphemisms to say F the Jews. They say, from the river to the sea, Palestine must be free. Free of what, you may ask? Well, free of Jews, of course. And end the colonial, you know, decolonize Palestine? What does that mean? That's another euphemism, another one of their rhymes. Decolonize Palestine. Again, that's a euphemism. It means kill the Jews. It means get rid of every Jew, even though the only people to have had an indigenous claim to this land, again, I'm I'm speaking to you from Tel Aviv, just north of Tel Aviv, have been the Jews. That's why it's called Judea. Because of the Jews. It was renamed Palestine 1900 years ago by the Romans after the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70 AD and the dispersion, the attempted dispersion of the Jewish population. But a Jewish presence here in Palestine, Judea, the modern state of Israel, has been continuous and uninterrupted for 3,000 years. The only other people on the planet that can make claims like that are the Chinese and the Persians. So, we've reached a point where you have to wonder, you have to ask whether or not this kind of hatred that's unprecedented in our history has a solution. I don't know if there's an answer to that question. I really don't. Because when a society, an open, free, democratic, tolerant society, like Australia, can tolerate thousands gathering at the most iconic physical space in Oz, outside the Sydney Opera House. The, 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 if there's one image of Australia, it's the Sydney Opera House. And chant gas the Jews. Well, what we know now is that when people say they want to kill you, take them at their word. We now know they mean it. Gas the Jews. Dismember the Jews. 
decapitate Jewish babies, kidnap Jewish old ladies, kidnap grandmas. If there's no armed defense of the Jews in Israel, every Jew would be murdered. We saw that on the 7th of October. We saw that. And Israel's belief that its technological prowess, the startup nation, their innovations in cyberspace, electronics, super advanced systems, AI, all that stuff, rendered everybody here safe and secure. It fed into that mentality. Israel has F-35s and all this advanced technology that the Gaza border was secure because of um, all the sophisticated uh, equipment that's on the Gaza border. Got 40,000 terrorist fighters now from Hamas and Hamas's military leadership that are living and operating inside tunnels. It literally, literally is the first underground army. You know, we used to use the terms about the underground during the Second World War. Well, now we really do have an underground army. And to defeat Hamas, Israel's going to need to get them out of tunnels where, they're, where they'll finally have the advantage and not fight them in the tunnels. Um, Israel's using whether or not how sophisticated it is, I don't know, but using um, what they first have to do is identify the tunnels, then they got to destroy them. The IDF says there could be 1,300 of them, and most estimates, both internal and external, guess that there are up to 500 miles, that's nearly 800 kilometers of these tunnels running under Gaza. So Israel's deployed or is deploying this ground-penetrating radar, which they had, by the way, on the border. We see how well that worked. These advanced detection devices that can measure magnetic fingerprints, thermal fingerprints, even acoustic soundings, their fingerprints. But it can't really work unless Gaza is sealed. So this gets back to the blockade. Has there ever before been a demand on the part of a country fighting a defensive war. And if this is not a defensive war, then there's no such thing as a defensive war. To provide humanitarian aid and sustenance to the enemy? If Israel obeys Joe Biden, no matter how much aid Gaza gets, Israel isn't going to be able to truly defeat Hamas. The only chance Israel has to crush Hamas, defeat it, and destroy it, is to block all the resupply. And that should be made as an unconditional demand for the release of every hostage. Because now we're getting into the space, very similar to Entebbe in 1976, hearkening back to the Selections in the Holocaust, when Jews were separated from non-Jews for extermination by the Nazis. We are rapidly pushing toward the point where the international demand for hostage releases will apply only to the estimated 50 or so foreign nationals. What about the Israelis? Should Israel put up with this? How much longer will Israel accede to the schizophrenic demands of the Biden administration. 
the patronizing, insulting demands of the Biden administration. How many times has President Biden demanded that Ukraine refrain from any actions that violate international law and the conduct of war? How many times has he had to admonish Ukraine publicly before it even begins to respond that it has to adhere to to international law? Never. And why did the State Department, why has it never put any restrictions on Ukrainian retaliation? The Ukrainians have retaliated. They've targeted Russia's Black Sea Fleet. They're hitting sites in Crimea. They're sending missiles far into Russia to attack sites. Sometimes those attacks miss, and sometimes Russian civilians are killed. And it was Russia that launched a criminal invasion of Ukraine designed for conquest. But Hamas launched a murderous invasion of Israel as part of a war not of conquest, but of extermination. Almost 800,000, we estimate, dead or wounded in Ukraine and Russia. This is the most lethal contact con- uh, war, conflict, that Europe has seen since the end of the war. So why is Tony Blinken, why is Joe Biden, and don't even get me started on Barack Obama, who earlier in the week issued the most disgusting, morally equivalent, flat-out almost anti-Semitic blather about the massacre. You see, they have to have moral equivalence. If you're in the middle, you can't be targeted by either side. If See, being in the middle is the easy place to be. If you're like the New York Times and refer to the blast at the hospital in Gaza, without citing the fact that it was Palestinian Islamic Jihad that hit the hospital, not Israel. If you just say blast at the hospital, that's an act of moral equivalence. And it's a pass to Hamas because Hamas isn't called out or Pidge isn't called out for the attack. So why has the U.S. been so insistent upon a ceasefire after roughly 1% of the casualties that have happened in this war compared to the war in Ukraine? But you can't mention a breather, a ceasefire, an armistice in Ukraine without being called an ally of Putin. There's no end in sight to the war in Ukraine. None. There's no end in sight to the, to the carnage there. But that doesn't seem to bother anybody. The administration, the president acts as though he can always, America's capable of doing everything simultaneously, but then we don't do anything anywhere. And let me hit one final point. The primary, almost sole objective of this administration in the deployment of massive and unprecedented firepower into the eastern Mediterranean and the Persian Gulf to carrier battle groups, the Ford and the Eisenhower. Are they here to protect Israel? I don't know. But I do know that what this administration wants more desperately than anything else is to prevent any action 
with or from Iran, even though Iranian proxies have attacked U.S. forces no less than 14 times in the last six days, and there has not been any U.S. response. What's the reason for that? Because if Iran gets involved, then the entire cover for two of the last three administrations, the Biden administration and the Obama administration's policy of failed alignment with Iran, the attempt to distance America from its traditional allies, from Israel, and to align it with the world's leading state sponsor of terror, will be exposed for all to see. Do you realize that to this day, no senior administration official has ever even acknowledged that Iran had a hand in the, in the Kristallnacht-like pogrom of 10-7? There's no way this operation could have been conducted, organized, supported, funded, armed, logistically coordinated without Iran. And everything we're saying about Hamas is 10 times as true for Hezbollah. Because Hezbollah is 10 times as powerful as Hamas. And they are no less dedicated to the the destruction of the Jewish state as is Hamas. So keep that in mind. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast, right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125.